The Last Time I Smoked is an independent entertainment podcast intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Have you interviewed Doug Benson yet? Doug Benson? Yeah. No. I think you need to interview him. He'd be great for this. Oh, I, I kind of, one of my used to watch his show, uh, Getting oh. Doug With High. That kind of led me about a year and a half ago to do this. I just don't have the resources and the funding to like do like a big video production like he's got. But that's kind of like the vein we're kind of trying to get to is being that I comfortable. I'll help you with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so something I can't talk about on the podcast right now, but uh, uh, just uh, FYI, like I, I'm going to be doing the a last time I smoked. The last time I smoked. Welcome to The Last Time I Smoked. I'm your host, Landon Charles Hughes, and today's guest, Diane Kawasaki. Diane and I have known each other for a little over four years now. We're fellow comedians here in Los Angeles, but only as of late have I discovered that she's so much more. (laughs) She's vastly educated. She's a huge heart and an angel on this planet by doing social work for others. She's originally from Hawaii, is now back in Los Angeles doing stand-up. I've always liked Diane's material because her, her words are so much more powerful when you see them live. And she's just a huge inspiration to me, and I'm so happy I got to interview her. Ladies and gentlemen, Diane. So let's talk about, real quick, where I met you. Uh, We've met a few times on and off through the comedy circuit in L.A., right? I'm pretty sure I met you through Duke Kerpolani. Yes! I want to say, wasn't it a YooHoo Room show? It might have been. Yeah, Uh, like in 2011, I think. Yeah, that was like about two years before I left. Mm -hmm. I went back to Hawaii, so like... Um, by 2011, I probably had done comedy for, I would say, like five years. Oh, so you've no? been at it for a while. Yeah, because yeah, I had only been in there. for like three, maybe yeah. two by that time. So I think I had been doing it for quite a while. And at the time, um, I was, you know, doing colleges and like, you know, random things. And I did some corporate stuff. I tried to be really clean and, you know, because that's, that's, you know, how it is, I guess. I don't know. I tried to be, but... Uh, I'm not a very clean person, so sometimes that was hard to write because it wasn't as authentic. But that's what you write for corporate people are the jokes that you kind of are like biting your lip telling. You know, you're like, I don't really feel this way, but it's a joke and I my job is to be funny. You know, like. Right. Because that's what, um, you know, corporate comedy is. It's like they give you a list of things you cannot touch. You know, they try to tell you, go, you know, keep away from like political things because that can be very contentious and, uh, you know, I mean, you can't be doing swearing, can't be talking about drugs, can't be talking about certain levels of, like, intimacy with a partner. See, it was very, like, coded with uh, corporate kind of language. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, what passes human resources? If I were to push play on the human resources video, what would they be talking about, in a sense, or what they wouldn't be talking about? How do I keep the person that hired me not to get fired? Like, that's basically the barometer. Yeah, because you're trying to keep it all above bar. Cause, yeah, because you've done shows that are specifically like, I did the, the do-ass, don't-tell show where it was all gay military people. Like, I'm sure like that would not work in corporate America. <laughs> like those, yeah. Yeah, it's just, but it's weird because like, I think we're so censored as a society. We have, you know, freedom of speech, but, you know, Americans are very censored and they're very like toned down. And, you know, there's a lot of, I feel like, repression, even though we're like so free and like we're over-sexualized and all this kind of thing. And our media like has all this like stuff that, 
you know, is like real salacious, but at the same time, we're not very honest with ourselves. Do you, th- so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm about to feed you, uh, uh, I'm about to lead into a question, but um, so are Americans, are we as a culture sort of hypocrites? Yes, okay. exactly. <laughs> yeah. We are such hypocrites, and I feel like um, we all are ingrained to be hypocrites. We're conditioned to be hypocrites. We say things like, oh, you know, we're very free, we're very open, but at the same time, it's like, are we really honest with ourselves, even within ourselves? No. Most of the time, like, I feel like I'm not even honest with myself. I can say that, but I'm being a hypocrite right now. It's like, oh, Americans are so whatever... But at the same time, I just said, like, I actually wasn't as authentic when I did corporate comedy because it was something that I held back on a lot. But we still have to eat. And it's right. not like we personally, as one person, is going to change the cultural landscape of how oh, people not. get their means of survival. Right. But at the same time, uh, you're right. Yeah. I've seen, and, I, and I constantly judge myself about it. And when, I, and when you're high, you kind of like overthink that oh, process because yeah. nobody's thinking about you as much as you were thinking about you yeah no one gives a shit about you because they're, <laughs> they're worried about their own stuff um and i did that a lot where i would just be like so like fixated on oh my gosh like everyone hates me or i need to do this differently and you know when i started in comedy i got a lot of uh, people that would be like you know you got to play up like the little person thing like you know short jokes blah 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 and i'm like that's not who i am like i don't i don't care about myself in that way like i mean no, i don't care about myself what is that a freudian slip i don't know maybe it's a comic <laughs> thing I, <laughs> i'm just reading on that now yeah so. <laughs> just like oh man i like see how i judge myself right there but as comedians we were just talking about that right before we started the podcast though is a sort of personality traits that are very uh, uh, prevalent in comedians like this negative self-talk where I think the pros when they get to that level I mean I'm sure they still have it instinctually but they all have a method to get past it to write the jokes outside of me being a veteran or you being a little person like why are we pigeonholing ourselves into these like constraints they always told me you should do more gay jokes you should do more jokes about being gay in the military no you already you're you're trying to push your fantasy on me you know you're trying to get an idea about something you have no idea about and i don't want to make those jokes and that's my right as right because you're not one-dimensional like you are a, a person who yeah you served in the military you are a veteran uh you're gay you're also amazing in all these other capacities so why limit yourself that you can only talk about certain things and i feel like that is to a person's deficit as a performer is when you do that and i would get like all of that stuff of like oh you know do this and do that and you would make so much more money but oh gosh i have this whole thing about like integrity and like not wanting to do stuff that makes yes i'm the same way it's like i'm not that i don't i would love to sell out and give me all the money you know what i mean but it's the how the money is being made that i'm still working through in my mind like you said yeah finding that like nice balance because you can be like there's a difference like you can be authentic and maybe adjust your words a little bit so you don't say fuck every time you do a comedy (laughs) like a little corporate comedy thing but at the same time that it's the relevance of the subject matter that i'm not doing this just because i want a job like i rather do hand jobs in mcdonald's than like sell myself in that way where i'm presenting myself in a certain way that might be stereotypical might affect other people like i can't do that kind of thing it's it's kind of like you're giving in to other people's ideas of you 
Right. It's like um, me as a person, I spend very little time thinking about me as a little person or somebody has a disability all this other stuff it's like no you gotta be this way you gotta only talk about these things because that's the only interesting aspect of you as a person and that's what it sounds like and and i i get that a lot too you know i get those constant like uh repeater questions i call them like they're always like when a person thinks they're in a safe space and then they can like ask you anything or ask us anything that like and we're comedians so we're automatically so open to just be we're not first of all we're still human beings but second of all um I don't know how people get the right to be that comfortable with us to bring those kinds of things to fruition because I would never ask anybody in my life half the things people ask me and only because of my profession. Do they get the... And then again, I don't want to tell people not to at the same time. You know, you know, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It goes back to like, I mean, is it hypocrisy or is it is it just being like, you know, we have boundaries within ourselves. Yes. Like, I, I'm totally TMI. Like, I say stuff that is just like really fucked up a lot of times and I have to kind of like ease my way down from it. And, you know, um, my roommate, uh, Corey, was he's always like telling me, hey, you know, maybe tone it down a little bit because certain things are, you know, people don't, aren't comfortable with that. And just that reminder kind of made me like really change the trajectory of how I speak to people and kind of know, oh, I have certain audiences like performing. How do you like navigate the, the, I'm just trying to find a pencil because you're saying so many good things. I want to like write my notes down. Um, How do you know who's giving you advice that, it may be true, but is it coming from a malicious place or a loving... You know what I mean? And how do you balance what notes you should be really focusing on? Should I be focusing on the asshole that said I wasn't funny because A, B, and C? Because he's being really honest and he didn't like my joke? Or should I believe, you know, my husband who's like, no, you're so funny. Keep going. You know, are you just being nice to... Are you coddling me a little bit? Like, right. I never know who to truly believe in my own comedy, you know? Well, with comedy, like, I... I guess like on a personal level, I feel like I don't I don't take um, advice very easily. Like I have to really respect the person to have uh, to actually listen to what they have to say and apply it to my life. There's a big difference. Like I can listen to something, but do I is it applicable to how I want to be? And like you know, for instance, and when you live with somebody, you get to know them on a different level. So there is a different level of. Oh, this person knows me on a, you know, on a way, in a way that maybe friends I don't really see that often know me. So when he says stuff, I take it very seriously because I trust him. You know, mm-hmm. there's a trust there, but I am someone that... And that, that built up over time. Right, that built up over time. And, you know, that's something that uh, I feel like in any relationship, like friendship, you know, whether it's a roommate or a romantic partner or whatever, uh, it comes down to that trust. And I used to trust people very easily, because, you know, I just like you, you, I was that kid that nobody really liked. And, you know, I had to work so hard to be friends with people. And I had to like buy my friends, basically. Like I would be the one that I would like bring stuff from home and like share snacks because I have this weird like mentality of not weird. It's obviously it came from a place because like you want to, you want to, you want to be liked. I think and that's you a universal. You want to show your best to everyone. Yeah. And, and then so there's that thing of, you know, I trusted people so easily before, but now, like, I think probably within the last five years, I have a very difficult time trusting people, and I'm very closed off. Um, I'm weird because I love being around one other person. 
I don't like being around a lot of people, which is weird because stand up, it's like, okay, well, why are you being such a weirdo? You like talk to millions, not millions. I wish millions. It will add up to that eventually. Like, yeah, millions. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like, you know, not millions, but like, you know, I talk to maybe like 23 people, you know, like at a time. And that's a lot of people. It feels like millions because sharing that space with somebody, like uh, many people, freaks me out. But there's something about maybe being on stage where you know that no one's going to really talk at you, you know? That's right, weird. I, I like, so what is it that drives you to do stand up then? I like, because, um, for me, you know, I've learned, I've heard so many different stories of what got people, but um, the stories are so different. Whereas, like, oh, I wanted to be a doctor because I wanted to help you. You know, we're comedians. Right. Like, oh, when I was a kid, there's these huge stories that that are developed. Right. I don't mean to get that deep, but I want to know, like, what really drove you to like continue to like want to be friends with people that have kind of treated you less than great your whole life you know a whole culture who's kind of told us no we don't like you now but now that we're growing up with all this confidence it's different but right. but like yeah now like uh, what got you into comedy like stand up specifically oh and by the way like i like going deep like i feel like surface area stuff that's something you do when you're really young and immature like you don't get real deep but I feel like I don't even want to hang out with people that won't go to that depth just in general so whatever you want to say I don't care okay, like, cool. um, cause yeah I will say something that it was totally just a question and some people will see it so like the question was offensive to them like that triggered them in the you know subject matter in the question and I'm like oh no that's not what I meant by that at all yeah, yeah. and I feel like it's, it's fine to just be open about that and be like hey that made me uncomfortable we don't do that enough in America we just like oh we have to be fine we have to be fine right it's like no I'm not fucking fine we're getting to that yeah Let's but see like that. going back uh, <laughs> yeah. you know going back to what drove me to comedy um, I, my parents actually told me that I always wanted to do comedy because I saw it um, I used to watch uh, comedy with my dad a lot he is a big fan of comedy and he likes dark like humor and so he would watch this oh actually not dark but he likes things that are just you know that style of uh, he liked this one guy I think his name is Henry Cho okay yeah he's really awesome and he's just really smart he's a Korean guy from the south and just was very much like um, how Bill Burr gets where he's like oh you know this is what's wrong with society or like Jim Jeffries he's also another one of my favorites and I like it because they're real like yeah they say offensive things sometimes but it's just like if we're all really honest with ourselves we look around the way that we were living right now like as a society it's fucked up and like why are we treating each other so shitty like i just don't know what happened no i do know what happens people are shitty anyway but um <laughs> you know part of going back to why i wanted to do stand-up is yeah obviously like i wanted to be liked initially that was what drove me to want that attention from strangers it's because i didn't have that uh you know i had attention from strangers but it wasn't positive so I wanted to be liked, obviously. And like, you know, when you're funny or, you know, if you are, you know, like I always was that class clown kid because I was, you know, kind of weird, didn't really know how to behave. Um, I had ADHD when I was a kid. But at the time, you're just lazy and f stupid. So like, you know, like I didn't know how to teenagers. deal with that. Teenagers. Yeah, teenagers or like, you know, whatever it is. And then so with uh, comedy, I was... Initially, obviously, like it was that narcissism of like, everyone look at me, mm -hmm. I'm funny. But like, it developed over time as some, a platform to be like, well, people think a certain way of me and 
uh, I don't like that. And then I'm going to kind of correct that, not correct it, but kind of give you my interpretation and opportunity to know me as a person beyond the surface stuff. So that's where it became. And that's why I wanted to focus more of my energy in writing material that was um, more not educational, but more with more depth. I don't like the surface like, oh, my gosh, I'm so short. I always get this like um, they people, guys, especially they're always like, wow, you're the perfect height for blowjobs. You talk about that in your act and like, what, what? Well, yeah, like, no, because everybody thinks that obviously, like, let's state the obvious, right. you know, it's like, oh, wow, I don't have to you know, do this, like, I don't have to be uncomfortable. It's like, no, I don't want to, like, stand up and, like, blow some dude. That's so weird to even think about. And then for me to, like, just perpetuate that stereotype of that's, like, the most uh, great thing about being with a little person is that they're the perfect height for a blowjob. It's like, that's so stupid. It's hack. It's hacky, yeah. It's, like, dumb. And it's like, and if a guy, like, says that, and, oh, God, when you go on, um, when you go on Bumble or, like, you know, Tinder or whatever, and I go on there just because... It's interesting. I've met a couple people on those apps. Um, I met my husband on Grinder. Go on. Oh, I love Grinder. Oh my gosh, my friend. He was on Grinder before, and he had a photo of me and him together. And this guy that like sent a picture of his butthole was like, "Hey, <laughs> like I know Diana. How do you know her?" And I was like, "Who the fuck like does that? Like, why am I on your Grinder?" First of all, and second of all, and then he shows me this guy's photo, like of his face, not his butthole, thankfully. And he's like, you know, and I was like, I don't even know this guy. How does he know me? And, you know, at the time, like I was in Hawaii for a couple years, so wasn't doing any of the comedy stuff. And he was also from Hawaii, too. So it's just like weird. And I was like, how does he know me? And then now it's gotten awkward because you share a mutual friend with a person that you've seen their butthole. So it's like very strange. <laughs> but like, you know, Tinder is the same way. I know more about you than you think. <laughs> yeah, it's like I know more about like if I were to see him like in the market, I'd be like, oh, hey, it's been a while. And I don't remember names very well. I'm like, OK, cool. Um, hmm. You know, like, I'll, I'll know. Like, I won't think, oh, how did I meet you? It's like your butthole is really your fuzzy. Butthole. You know, you might want to bleach that shit. I have no idea. You know, it's so weird. Yeah, um, I think hack material is something that you learn after you've realized that stand-up comedy is your thing. Like, you, that's when your next evolution right. is. You do it for a few years, and then, like, years go by, and you're like, oh, I've actually improved. Do I continue on, or do I... Exactly. Or do I find something else that I've, I like? But, like, a stand-up, for me, has been one of the few constants throughout my life. You know, I always try to go away from it, because I did. Oh yeah, I want to go back to that real quick. Yeah. You, uh, we we did meet when you were uh, doing some real good comedy, and I like that's what really got me to you is like you weren't doing that hack material. I mean, you played it in a little bit because it gets some of the audience sometimes, but that's because you're playing it as if sarcasm. I feel like sometimes I'm like you're you're telling me the story with, and it's so good. Um, that's what I'm trying to get my stuff to do now. But um, um, you were to me such at a high point. And then you were gone for a few years. I had a meltdown. Yeah, I totally had a meltdown. Um, uh, 2012 was a really horrible year for me. Uh, my friend had been, like, he was murdered by somebody I knew. 
and uh, in, in LA, in LA, and that like sent me in this whole different path because I felt like I remember being like when I found out about it, I was dating this guy, and you know, I I mean, we weren't really serious or anything, but I asked him like I was like, hey, uh, can you just stay with me because my friend just died and I don't feel good and I just. I want to just be with somebody like I not in a sexual way. Like I just wanted to have somebody around, you know, because all at the time, my friend, all my friends were married and like, you know, they were settled down. And then it was that moment of like I was alone and, you know, I had nobody. And he even like he texts back. He was just like, well, I know you want me to be there, but no. And I told him like I was like, this is not like an everyday thing. Like it's not like I had a bad day at work. You know, this like someone really close to me passed away and in a really horrific way and I just want to be with somebody I just want somebody to stay with me that's it and he wouldn't do it and like I had nobody and I just remember feeling so alone and just being like god this is what my life is right now and then that was actually like at a good point in my career like uh, I was kind of in a place where I had a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. but I was just like I just was so done I was like I don't want to be alone I don't want to be somebody that doesn't see their family a lot that just you know is living this crazy life of like going you know flying around all over the place and you know whatever it just didn't mean anything to me anymore I think that really set a tone for me so I just decided to move back to Hawaii so you lost all like passion for creating and yeah just got a huge depression yeah I mean and I didn't realize how much it affected me because I couldn't deal with it you know like I just didn't and I didn't even I didn't go to my friend's uh, funeral. I didn't go to, I didn't even visit his like site or anything. And um, it took me three years to go and visit him. Uh, it was, cause I felt this like, what's what called- What finally got you to go? Um, I think I was finally okay that he, cause I had a lot of guilt. Cause like, I could have done something differently. No, it, that's never about you. Death is never about, yeah. death is never about, never put that on you. It, it's not, but it's it's a concept called survivor's guilt, and uh, that is something that's very difficult to like conceptualize or even acknowledge, and that's really where it starts. Is like being able to accept it. Oh, this is this is what happened, and then to you know go through that. And I did this thing called a holotropic breath work, maybe a couple like a two about two months ago, and it was only like an introductory session, but um that really helped me because I got to kind of tap into those feelings and then kind of re, like shift my perspective on it. And that was very helpful. But before then, I think it was probably, oh, actually, I went to go visit him right after I finished grad school. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. It was <laughs> it was a mistake. But anyway, <laughs> uh, horrible. Anyway, but um, I went back to grad school for social work because I just wanted my life to have some meaning. Like, and not that comedy doesn't provide meaning, but it... It's selfish. It's it be, a selfish yeah, it craft. Felt, it's, it's just us. Yeah, it's yeah. just us. And it seemed really monotonous where I was doing the same shit all the time. And it's like, you know, I was doing a lot of corporate stuff at the time. So, you know, I, I felt very censored at the same time. And I didn't feel as free. And actually, at that time, I wasn't as authentic anyway because I didn't really know myself. I was, you know, at the, how old was I? I was like maybe 20 six or something 20 no 27 i have no idea but you know around that age But that's the quarter life crisis and then having a death and then having like like relationship issues and then like put that all in a ball and then put it into one human being 
you are killing a girl. <laughs> okay, like I'm you like Maria Bamford. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a comedian. She went. I to, love Maria Bamford. Oh my god, she's amazing. We could talk a whole podcast. About oh yeah, her. I could. Um, she went to Duluth for a few years after she had a really bad collapse in her mid thirties because of just the pressures of everything yeah. and like it had nothing to do with you know death of family or anything or friends, but that. Us doing stand-up is doing deathbed work. We're doing deep, introspective thought on our minds all of the time. We're always in work mode. And I, yeah. I mean, I do that. Like, I drive uh, to Orange County. Mm -hmm. um, And that's when I have the most, like, self-awareness because I'm trapped in a car. And I think that made me really depressed mm-hmm. because, uh, well, not recently. Now I don't. I actually have a place in Orange County, so I don't have as much of a drive. But when I'm by myself, I spend too much time thinking about all of these random things. And some things are kind of funny, but like other things are just kind of horrible, and I don't know what to do with it. And then it's interesting, like whatever you spend your time dwelling on, that's really what grows into like you know that just those becomes seeds. The material. It just yeah, it becomes like the material and. That's what I really like about, you know, going real deep. And that's why I've always liked your comedy because you do that. Like, you find ways to make, like, really, like, I would say it started off really hard at some point. And then you evolved it. You worked at it. You massaged it. You made it something that's funny, that's comfortable for people, their universal experiences. And I think that's really what I want to get to next. Like, um, I'm still, I'm writing, like, a... I'm writing a new, like, just completely trying to get rid of everything I used to do, and I want to write new stuff, and it's going to be more deep, hopefully. Um, I'm not always a deep person. Like, I I think on the surface level, I'm kind of, like, you know, people look at me, I I talk like this, I have kind of like a valley girl accent. Um, Me too, girl. You know, so, yeah. (laughs) And, like, sometimes people are just like, oh, you're dumb, you know, like, and I don't talk about these kind of things, like, because I have to really trust someone to get to that place where I feel comfortable to be vulnerable. That's a very difficult thing to do uh, because I'm more of a, oh, let's let's entertain everybody because that's my role as a person in this world is like to entertain people. I can't be sad. If I'm sad, people don't like it. And they don't. People can't handle when I'm sad. And so I don't when I'm, I'm really depressed, and that happens quite a bit, uh, I just stay by myself and I just get real like sad. I write a lot. I write crazy things. I write things I probably shouldn't post online, but it's just like, that's my outlet. Real quick, like I post things online that I feel really bad about, but I never delete them because I'm always like, no, I'm growing from that. Like yeah. now I've sort of detached. I'm re-evaluating why I put that or felt that. I'm probably wrong. Somebody's defriended me. Wah, nah, nah. But I feel I've grown as a writer and as a performer right. because I don't know if I'm going to say that on stage. I don't know if I really feel that, but it's out of my head and I can look at it right. and really dissect it like you're talking about and Build something better from it. Yes, absolutely. I used to get scared writing in journals because I was scared somebody's going to find yeah. my deepest, darkest thoughts. And I'm like, Landon, uh, Diane, we have not the deepest, darkest thoughts. No. We are we are actually <laughs> angels on this planet Earth who have right. some bad emotions sometimes and right. a little bit of emotional instability. But other than that, 
we're yeah we're angels like most comedians that's why we do that's why we speak this way and we're so empathetic sometimes and so like even bill burr has got to be the sweetest guy but he He gets on stage and rips them a new hole but (laughs) for good reason though i feel like he has a point and one of my favorite bits from him is that population control one where uh, he talks about like the you know my it's me and my dad's favorite bit because I actually, I sent it to him, like, you're going to love this. Because my dad, my dad's actually, uh, he was in the Air Force. Um, oh, thank um, you for his service. Yeah, like, it's just like, I, I have such respect for people in the service. And I worked in a different capacities. Uh, I worked at a naval clinic. I did my practicum at Tripler Army Medical Center in uh, Hawaii. So that's my, my background. You're deep in military ethos and mythos. Like, listen to, yeah. Yeah, like, I just have such a respect because I grew up with... Uh, you know, my dad telling me about what it was like for him. Um, you know, being in the service is very difficult. But the thing that's very, uh, very obvious is people in Hawaii were not very kind to me. Um, there's a lot of like stigma about disability, and you know, people are very like they're a little bit gross sometimes. But when I worked in the hospital, I was so happy because everyone addresses you as "ma'am," "sir," very proper, very polite. And there's a level of empathy that I think um, is very shared across uh, all branches of service because they had to experience things that most people don't. Like, they have to see things. Uh, my dad told me that, you know, part because my dad is such a time, like, freak. Like, he just, like, gets freaked out about, like, being on time. It's like, because in the military, it's like, if you're one minute late, that could cost somebody's life. Right. That's really scary. Ten minutes is ten minutes early is on time. On time yeah. is late. Yeah, and that's in the entertainment business too. Like, um, if you're half an hour uh, early, you're on time. Yeah, right. And so I would have so much anxiety, and you know, being on time, I'm always late for like personal stuff. Like, you know, if it's like oh, meet a coffee or whatever. Like, I don't have my shit together most of the time. But if it's like work stuff, I'm on time because I have that military like mentality because you're I grew up with it. And my dad's always like, you know, don't be late. And then, you know, and, and that's good because I think that's a nice thing because you want to be considerate of others. And in the military, people are very considerate of others. There's a real team aspect that you don't always find. Because there's. That's that. Yeah, sorry. Oh, don't On my be. own podcast. It's all good. Um, um, I didn't realize that that instills in us. You know, I didn't until I got to LA and I was writing like a maniac feeling like I'm behind on everything and then I get up and talk to a bunch of comedians they're like nah I didn't do any open mics this week and I didn't write I just napped <laughs> and worked yeah, in a barista work- like what like yeah, that- I'm losing my and then you know I've slowed down but I do notice yes military and people connected with military do have a sh- little bit of a stronger work ethic definitely yeah. I mean because uh, it's it's ingrained in the everyday life. And I was not in the military myself, but because my father was. But you're around that. Civilians yeah. run our government, actually. Like, that's the truth of the matter. Civilians are the backbone of our military, are the people that are helping the military. Those, that's the military. That's the American military, I feel. Right. And yeah. it's, you know, civilians definitely have a big part of the military mm-hmm. in supporting just everything the whole infrastructure there's like so much and it's so busy fast paced so anyone that's experienced what it's like to work in any capacity within the military they have a very strong work ethic because it is so much on a like time promptness everything is it has to be at the best caliber of quality uh and you know they have much strict like their their regulations are so much more strict than like when i worked for the uh the state government 
<laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, nothing gets done. There's like <laughs> shit. Like, what the fuck? And I was just in AmeriCorps Vista at the time, right? And I worked in a public policy, uh, no, public health kind of profession. Oh, yeah. I saw your picture, actually, yeah, a couple so, years back. And yeah. I, I loved it because mm-hmm. it was interesting, but it's so fucking slow. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, you, because you have to go through all of this, like, procedure and, like, you know, procurement. And I had, I was actually doing a campaign for long-term health insurance, um, just to have people be more aware of that whole, you know, sector of life. And I couldn't do it because there's like all this shit that you have to do. But in the military, you want to get something done, it is done that day by 3 p.m. Done. You know? Just well, done. we want to go drink. Well, yeah, that, it's definitely almost five. done. Yeah, it's like, and it's done because it starts early. You know, I'm an early riser. Uh, so even in my current job, we work with a lot of um, military uh, people too. And then so it's like you have that respect of like, you know, you start early and then you kind of like, you know, wind down just as people are kind of like getting out of, you know, that zone. But it's like that that level of work ethic is so different in like, oh, God, I'm glad you see that because like. I never thought that I had anything going for me, but that alone is like a driving force to being a successful person. You know, like, is that work ethic? It's that work ethic. And like, you know, and musicians are the same way where they have that work ethic. Like I can tell right away, like I have these uh, three friends and they are amazing musicians and their level of professionalism is, it mirrors like the military, but I don't think they had any like experience in that. It's that they just had those kind of values and go to attitude, get it done. And then that, I think it's also that level of respect for other people, that consideration. So, um, I have, I feel like for a lot of Asian people, they're raised anyway to, Oh, you know, don't be a problem in society. What is your, what is your background? I'm half Korean and half Japanese. Okay. So my mom is so from beautiful. Korea. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. It's also crazy and <laughs> very conflicted. I don't want to ask, but is it the Korean side? No, the Korean side is like, no, actually, uh, Koreans at least are straightforward. Like, they come off as like really angry, crazy people, but they tell it like it is. They're like Australians, you know, like. Australians yes. are just to the point and uh, there's no bullshit and I think that's why they drink a lot <laughs> well because like you're so irritated with all of the fakeness and you know it's kind of like so, and I kind of equate Japanese people to maybe English people because they're very polite and then you know they're all about like you know how we are is you know whatever blah 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 but then Australians are like yeah fuck it you know <laughs> like my, my, my best friend her son is my godson Oh. and she lives in Brisbane uh, and she's like, I just love talking with her because it's like she just no bullshit. Like I just love it, and uh, so so much of um, you learn about yourself through stuff like that, oh, through conversations. Yeah. There, like there's a good so, person to take it's notes so from. So funny, and like when we chat, it's like it goes crazy places because she's not surface at all. Like she's very deep, and uh, you know when we talk, and you know she's half Filipino too, Uh-oh. so she's Asian <laughs> yeah. and Australian. Filipinos will tell you what's up to that oh, whole region. Yeah, <laughs> just like it's like look, guys, we had a because ho- like uh, the Philippines and Korea used to be a very poor country, mm-hmm. and now they've kind of really stepped up. But they have that mentality of like we've suffered so much, and we are not going to be go back. We're not going to have that shit again. It's like when people grow up in poverty, they will not 
they will be very like you know well you didn't grow up with a silver spoon i didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth we come from that kind of like upbringing too i'm in like the second generation of that so my parents were very poor um but they were second generation uh well i mean like so I didn't grow up in poverty, but like my parents did. Oh yeah, but my then parents I did. was raised to like look at it. Very Even if they didn't have money, we would never notice. Like we right. were brought up as American kids. Yeah, yeah. Like, we just we don't want to be. We want to make sure that we're just we're better than everybody else. I mean, there's that. I, I don't, actually, what's your background? I don't even know. I'm, uh, uh, so, Chamorro from Guam. Oh, amazing. Yes. I didn't even know that. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> no, like, that is amazing. I did... Half a day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so... It's because I did my research with... Um, professor that is uh, now at the University of Guam. She's Chamorro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I did a lot of my research in uh, assisting her in her dissertation, and it was all based in Guam. Sweet. We need more Chamorros to be out in the world yeah oh, she's amazing like so smart um yeah and my grandmother like talking about she used to live on the island as a little island girl yeah. and they all grew up and had 20 kids and they were living off of like military salary like they were fine lower middle class but like when my dad was growing up and my mom like my dad was selling drugs in fresno to get out of town you know like he comes from that background and then ends up having to join the military to get out and that was sort of the uprising of his life and my mother's life you know when they got together then they took me and mandy we're living off of you know e2 money e3 which is the lowest of the enlisted we weren't making great but we weren't again yeah like you said we weren't poor poor we just weren't rich we weren't silver spoon kids we were american normal kids you know or at least that's how they try to bring it to us yeah because yeah. it's that image and the keeping up with the the robinson sort of idea yeah because like you're and and what is uh, so you're are you full tomorrow no no no. so if it's tomorrow and then like white and mexican so like those three are sort of in me <laughs> somehow it's interesting to be like um you know, mixed, you know, that's a whole different ball game in itself. Two completely different cultures coming yeah. together to make one person is Yeah, intense. it's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I thought about, you know, having kids someday and whatever, but uh, I don't want to because I don't want to fuck up someone's life, <laughs> you know? No, and this goes back to your, like, us talking about confidence, too. It's like, we came out of all that. We're better because we didn't get everything handed to us. We were better because we were teased, I feel like. We're more intellectual. We're more right. looking at the world with a logical mindset rather than a keeping up with the Robinson kind of right, mindset. We're not, like, yeah. yeah, It's like, I'm at that point where I just don't give a fuck. Like, if people don't like me, you can go fuck yourself. Like, I'm there in that place There are another billion right people now. that speak my language. You know, it's just like, <laughs> come on. Like, there's... It's like, why are we, like, why do we entertain this stuff? Like, I did that for a long time where I wanted to be a certain, like, I want to be presented in a certain way. I don't want to be, and I have this, like, thing because I think it's that, and I probably get this from my upbringing, is, like, I don't want to be seen as somebody that's not put together because it's so embarrassing, and I don't want people to know that, oh, I'm having these hardships because my mom raised me to never show people how you feel. Yeah. You, you don't show your weakness because as soon as you show them, like as soon as you show people an ounce of vulnerability, that's going to be something they capitalize on. That's going to be something that will tear you down. And they will. Yes, and they will. So we always have to be afraid because if you're a little bit weak, mm-hmm. you're They'll done. They'll eat you alive. Yeah, you're done. 
But that's, yeah, but I think that that kind of mentality that our parents gave to us, because my mom said, my parents said the same thing to me. It's like, don't, don't be weak. It's because they're looking out for us. They right. see us as sensitive creatures and they don't want us to get hurt. Exactly. It was never about, you know, it's a, it's about our well-being rather than their, like, yeah. And you see that now, like, as an adult. But at the time, it's like, shit, why can't you be, like, white families? Like, you know, picket fence families. Like, <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. My grandmother used to, my Chamorro's said grandmother used to tell me when we would play outside too much yeah. and get real dark and tan. And my yeah. mom was like, my grandmother was like, no, no, get him back inside. He's getting too dark. He's yeah, got to sit inside weird. with me. Yeah, it comes from that. Like, It's like, and that image of like always having to be put together. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I feel really shitty right now and we don't even have to like, uh, we're recording something so there's no cameras or anything but I wanted to make sure I put myself together because I'm hungover this morning <laughs> and like, I, I feel better if I look better because I, my mom ingrained in that me like she's like you do not look like shit with other people would you think your right now your 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 ability to talk openly with me and have a conversation would be better if you just came out in sweatpants and a sweatshirt you know what i mean would, or would it be no, detrimental i would be detrimental because like i wouldn't feel good about myself <laughs> i'd be like fuck me like look at how shitty i look and i'd be constantly like thinking about God, that i should have changed i should have gotten myself to i'm yeah. sick yes. she's like no like i can't like I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, when I don't have plans, I'm pretty low maintenance. Like, I will be, like, just kind of, like, in my sleeping clothes. And, like, uh, my hair would be nice, but, like, not <laughs> fluffy. You know, it would be, like, just straight and just washed and stuff. Like, I shower, like, twice a day. I'm real neurotic about that stuff. But, yeah, I just don't feel good if I don't look good. It, it's all-encompassing. Like, we got to fill those little holes up before we're complete. Yeah, and I don't, that's why when I see people that don't, you know, look good. I don't get it. Like, I'm like, put yourself together. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how, actually, in a way, I get a little jealous of them. Like, how I do wish you I do it? I wish I didn't give a fuck. You know, I was like, at the weed store and I was like, yeah, exactly. These people. I'm like, how do you get away with it? I know. How do you not feel constantly judged? I mean, like, I don't, I look like shit sometimes at work and stuff, but it's, you know, I don't feel as bad about that because I do, I do the basic things. Like I'll shower, I'll do all of that stuff. But as far as like sweatpants, it's like that does not belong outside. Like you better be doing, where's your fucking yoga mat? Like I have no idea what brought you to this place, you know? Get it together. Yeah. So like some of the rules were working for us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I won't go outside without makeup because my mom would tell me like, oh, you look really sick or, you know, you look like you don't care about your life. Thanks for the complex, mother. I know. So like now I will not. And my cousin's the same way. We were oh, brought yeah. up. Our moms are sisters. So she's like my sister, basically. And just like all about looks like we don't. We just can't. It's like oh, and there's there's a weight thing that happens in our family. Like my aunt is gorgeous, and she had three kids, and I'm like, you are killing it, girl. She's I feel so fat. Like you are like one ten, it wet. You know, like yeah. No, don't give me that. It's, it's that constant, that constant reminder. Is it like a, I'm just gonna sound so racist when I say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Is it like an islander thing? Is it a like a Asian American? It might thing? be like an Asian thing. Asian like, thing. You know, island. Uh, Island culture is very similar to Asian mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, they were, you know, basically they didn't have that freedom to do that. Right. Because they were always, you know, kind of ostracized and um, taken over by bigger countries. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> if you're constantly beaten down, you don't you don't want to give people a reason. That's what it comes down to. 
I don't want to give you one little ounce of a strength to like uh, overtake me. Like I just can't do it. So like as much as possible, like I try so hard to look my best. I try so hard to have good work ethic only because I mean not only because like obviously I don't want to be a shitty person (laughs) but also it's driven it's motivated by not giving people an opportunity to be like yeah so this little thing that you did wrong that's why we're gonna I mean especially having a disability too it makes it difficult because there's so many opportunities where people can like oh well look at you did that so that that's why we're gonna we don't hire people with disabilities because you fucked up on that thing so like i try not to be a problem and i try not to ask for things because i don't i don't feel comfortable i don't feel safe i mean at my current place i they're amazing people like very accommodating but you've worked at shitty places i've worked at really shitty places and i think when you work for companies that um have their shit together totally fine but i worked for a nonprofit, and that was horrible they just treated all their stuff like shit and it was horrible and so i would be constantly worried about and it wasn't even a good job like i wasn't getting paid that much at the shitty place like nonprofits, nonprofits need to be more regulated i feel like they're, <laughs> like what the fuck you know snap snap like fuck them like i mean you know i think there are no, a lot of there's a lot of yeah you're absolutely a lot right. of great ones but a lot of fucking shitty mm-hmm. ones you know and and it might not be the whole like uh whole organization but if if the management's poor and they don't have respect for their staff you got a weak link in your chain yeah it's like that person needs to go yep i even sent an email to the hr people this person needs to go and then there's too much like uh you know nobody's gonna fire anybody in a non-profit like that's but they will the get hardest. rid of you they will ice you out well then they will and i mean not they will i feel like it, it, that could happen anywhere like even in a private sector or whatever but they can't fire people, especially if you're like a protected class. It's like they're so careful about it. So they make your life a little bit shittier. Oh, and yeah. then, you know, they put you through things and it kind of like ices you out. So you leave on your own. Deep. So, I mean, I, I don't, I can't really say that's where, how everything happens. But it kind of begs it's the question. It's like, why, are, why, is you, why are you making this too hard? Yeah. There's no reason for this bullshit, you know? Oh. So marijuana? No kidding. Yes. I, <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that because <laughs> no, this is perfect. This is how all my podcasts go. I don't want to like like no, I'm just like, coming back to it because like all of the things we've talked about. Um, always come back to my mind because everything that I've been through over the last six years, I've been on weed for it, or I've been able to leave what I've just done and go home and smoke, you know, or, you know, be, I felt like it's helped me in my comedy. I think it has taught me oh, to be. Oh, it does. <laughs> I, I mean, oh my no, God. No, well, I can't perform does. on it because I lose oh, no, all I my can't. words. And I get too, I get too relaxed and I just, I just say crazy stuff and then I forget where, because I, I'm like a goldfish. Whenever like I have an edible, I'm like a little goldfish. Like I'll be like doing something, or talking about something, and I'll have for no recollection of what I just had, like whatever thought that was. <laughs> so when I'm like uh, when I have edibles, I always like record myself. I videotape myself. That's how I did some of my writing for some other stuff. Nice. I'll type free write when I'm on an edible. I'll just like, and it'll just, and then I'll finally hit like a story or something and go at it yeah. for not. 
it's never always gold, but writing but happens. Like nuggets, yeah. you know, like little gems here and there. And I, like, I got that from Judy too. I was highlighting yeah. in this free writing. Yeah. It's just you know, you just go through it and because it's so freeing. Like you don't have the inhibitions, and I constantly like if I'm not on anything. When I drink alcohol, I don't I don't have that same kind of freedom because I'm a little bit too happy. I'm like a little too optimistic. You know, I'm like it's like Photoshop, you know, and everything's like great and <laughs> wonderful. And so uh like cuz I like to have like a Jack and Coke just to kind of like decompress and oddly enough, like I don't know if it's my brain chemistry, but I I feel like it it gets me a little bit more focused. Oh, when, when you're I, about to perform having a drink. No, I can't drink. I have to be completely sober if I oh. perform because um, I have a certain routine. Like, it can't be manipulated by any other substance. So I never perform, like, high or drunk mm-hmm. um, or, like, even tipsy. I won't even have one drink, like, unless I go through it. But when you're writing comedy. When I write, I like to... Uh, that's actually the best way for me is, like, if I have, like, a little... I get these, like, little... Because uh, I, I have a, a little card, you know, the stuff and so I go to the dispensary and I get this like pineapple it's like a it's like a little it's not an edible it's like a little candy um it's for like anxiety actually so uh my friend told me about it it's not a jolly rancher it's just like this little pellet I love them but I made the mistake that I because it's two pellets right two candies Mm -hmm. and this pineapple thing and then um I made the mistake of it's the dosage is two but I was like, I'm kind of half the size of a person like that would usually take this. So I should probably just eat one, right? Mm-hmm. So I ate one and I freaked the fuck out. <laughs> I was like staying with a friend, right? And she like, because um, this was when I first moved back here. So I was staying with her. She's like amazing. My best friend, Kathy. Shout and, out, like, Kathy. Huh? Shout out, Kathy. Well, she's not the one that told me about the thing. But like, uh, like she... Like, I was staying with her, and then I had some of this, right? And then um, I, I ate one, and, you know, she had gone to sleep, like, you know, whatever. And, like, I was freaking out, and I called the person that told me about it, right? I was like, hey, it, uh, it was actually an ex-boyfriend, right? He was like, just, you know, you should take this stuff if you have too much anxiety and whatever. And I was like, oh, my God. I think I'm gonna die. Like oh, no. I can't stop eating, and then like I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to the kitchen because like I I was so afraid that I was gonna fall down the stairs and die. Like I got real paranoid because they. I go. It's like a little. Uh, this is kind of like the path. I kind of figured this out. When I have an edible, I feel super good for like maybe 20 minutes. Like if I have too much, right? Super good. I'm like, yeah, everything is great. And then I get into this weird stage where like I start to get paranoid as shit. Like, if it has too much THC, I think it's probably where it goes wrong. And then it evolves into, like, this, like, euphoria of, like, I love everybody. And then I freak the fuck out again. <laughs> and then it just stays there if I have too much. So I had this, and I told the guy, I was like, hey, like, I'm, like, freaking out right now because I just ate, like, I ate the whole bag of uh, Trader Joe's, like, apple sticks with, like, <laughs> these packets of honey that I took from a hotel I was staying at. And I just ate these honey packets, and I actually took some Instagram photos, and I was high as fuck, right? <laughs> and then, like, I was, like, just, and my face was numb. And then, like, I had this bag of potato chips um, that I had, like, and I threw them away because they were disgusting. And I threw them away, and I actually ate them from the trash. And was, they weren't that bad. 
I mean, they were still bad, but I was so hungry. Like, I couldn't, like, it was insatiable. Like, I just couldn't stop eating. And then I was, like, texting my friend, Annie. I was like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, <laughs> I just ate, like, put, and I was taking pictures. I was like, I ate these chips, and they were in the trash. Like, I become that person. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah, and she's just like, oh, my God, you're freaking out. And I, I talked to my ex-boyfriend. I was like, is this ever going to go away? Like, I was just crying in the closet. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel so fucked up right now. And then... And then Kathy had no idea because she was sleeping like a normal person, right? And you're out having this world. Yeah, like I was. And then the next morning, she was like, "Whoa, I saw your Instagram photos. What the fuck happened to you?" I was like, "Oh my god, this guy told me to have this like edible, and I mean, like it was a little candy. I didn't, I didn't take it." And she's like, "Why?" And like, and I told him, I was like, "He's like, how much did you take?" I was like, "I ate one." He's like, "What the fuck?" Dude, you're supposed to only like take a fourth of that, like for somebody that doesn't do this a lot. Because right. it was the first time in a long time, like I had just gotten you my have no tolerance. No, I had zero tolerance because I actually never, like, I never smoked weed. I never like did it, but because like at the time I had like uh, PTSD stuff going on, like I, I just had a meltdown. That's what brought me here. So that was actually to kind of calm down with my anxiety because I just couldn't handle life. What happens after the roller coaster that is your edible experiences on normal? What do you come out on the other side as? Is uh, it positive? Is it negative? Is it's actually it- very positive. Um, when it's a pro- like when I started taking like just a fourth of it, um, it was it's actually very positive because I'll I'll get to that place where it's not freak out more like I won't have the paranoia part of it. Mm-hmm. It'll just be like really free flow. Like I can very, I can kind of disconnect with all the bullshit. I, you know, the surface stuff where I tell myself that inner critic goes away. It's just me. Like I just. And you can almost feel it lift yeah. off of you. It's like, oh, I'm in that world now, and you're yeah. like lucid dreaming in reality in a sense. Yeah, that's what it feels like when you're kind of like half asleep and you're just like not really. You're a lot more cognizant to like how you feel, why things affect you certain ways. Like it's almost like kind of swimming in a little pool, and you kind of like pick at certain things and you're just like oh look at this let's talk about it like but it's kind of that feeling where you don't have gravity and you're like all over the place and like i mean it i don't do it as much now because i feel a little better about my anxiety yeah but um and you know i just kind of i've just been more focused on like work stuff like uh, for my day job so like i wanted to not be because i can't handle that like I, i have to I have to not be, I have to have no plans to do this kind of stuff, you know, because like I. And that takes away a lot of the anxiety yeah. of doing it in the first place so that yeah. you know you don't have to be sobered up and ready yeah. to be a presentable. No, you have your night planned alone with a movie and some yeah. applesauce and chips. and like. Oh, yeah, I get I get real excited. I get like hagen dodge strawberry ice cream. Yes. One time I ate like a whole pint by myself because I, I wanted to do this thing because a whole tropic, like one of the tenets of that is like it's not uh, with substance, it's through music, right? Loud mm-hmm. music. Um, I don't do a good job of explaining that, but um, you know, part of, part of what's really nice about, you know, having an edible is like it gives you that chance to just be free, and. It's, it's so nice because I don't feel like that most of the time. I feel very tormented most of my life. You know, like, I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I can be optimistic for other people. But for myself, I'm pretty much tormented, like, probably 18 hours of the day. You're a self-sabotager? Yeah. Like, I, I, comp- I always, I do that. Like, if I get into this place where, um, I don't get it as often now. But, um, you know, every once in a while, like, I think, like, maybe two times a week, I'll just like fall into this like hole and just be kind of like in a well 
and that's what depression feels like for me. Like, I just feel like I'm at the bottom of a well and I can just kind of see, oh, yeah, there's light up there, but I don't really know how to get out of this. I think that's exactly what depression is. Yeah. Is this no end to your issue feeling? No, because it just feels... Um, and I was depressed for about, like, nine months. Um, right before... Like, in my last year of grad school, I was so depressed. Like, I couldn't... Like, what did you go to school for one more time? Like, social work. Nice. <laughs> right? No, so, nail it. That's... Yeah, you're great. Yeah, and, like... Um, and I told my mentor... Um, because uh, I, I did a fellowship with the medical school there, um, like working with kids with neurodevelopmental disabilities. Oh, nice. And so um, I loved it, but like I was so depressed and I didn't know why. I was like, this is the best time of my life. Like I'm about to graduate. Um, I have this awesome fellowship. I have amazing people. I work with physicians. I work in a setting that I love. Why, why the fuck am I like depressed all the time? I just couldn't figure it out. But I think it was at the time where I started thinking about like why I left, um, why I left LA, all of those things I became a little more honest with. And then that's what set me on a kind of a path of like being really depressed. And then, you know, I was so scared that I wasn't going to find a job after and like, I'd be all fucked up. And like, it was so important for me because I, you know, I felt like I failed like when I was here the first time and I go, I went home. I was the person that had to go back to back home because I didn't make it, you know, like accomplishments in the entertainment kind of sector is like, were you on TV? Were you this? And like at the time I was (laughs) right when I moved, I did this reality show um, called world's worst tenants. Mm -hmm. And then I was evicted in the show. It wasn't real. Right. But that's what people back home saw. They were like, oh, you really fucked up. Like, you're not doing well. And then and then my movie that, not my movie, but like my one principal role was this really awful movie called uh, Inappropriate Comedy. I've heard of it. It's horrible. Yeah. So I was, I was, I wasn't, I didn't have a line or anything, but that was my first, prin- my first and only principal role. It, you know, more will come, trust me. It's just so, <laughs> like, and I just felt like shitty and, you know, I didn't have any lines and I was just like an idiot, like on like a little, little countertop in a theater that shows porn. Like I just felt really shitty and that was the only thing. And then when I went back home, like everyone assumed that it was because I fucked up and like. You know, but the the truth was, I was just too. It was too much for and me. People are making up their own stories for all of us in their own minds. Right. They're thinking up of like, I have not gotten jobs as a PA um, because people thought I was doing so well. It's like almost the reverse of that, where uh, they never like Landon. You're like because they're looking at my Instagram. I'm happy all the time. Yeah. Everything's got like. Things are not copacetic right now. Like, I'm just not putting out bullshit. And then people will see a project that I might be in where, and they'll attune it to my real life. I'm like, no, I don't sell heroin. Like, I'm not. But I should. But now I should. (laughs) If you guys accepted me for it. (laughs) I know. If I I thought this was okay and I wouldn't go to jail, I would totally fill up some bags of stuff and shove it up my butthole. I I totally will. I'll be your mule. (laughs) Yeah. Just what do I got to do? If this is gonna, if this is gonna pay a lot more than what I would be making doing other things, yes. But what? But the thing for me is like knowing, like going to film school now and doing film. I'm like, even that spot for somebody to want to put you in front of their camera is already leaps and bounds better than ninety eight percent of the world. You know what I mean? Like somebody Definitely. wanted you in a movie. Like 
Now you have that, and do you just you won't be doing that again? But now new movies will start to arise that are even more better, or like more. I don't know. Um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, driving, because it's your experience that has made you go. I don't want to do that again. But you wouldn't have known if had- I didn't. Yeah, and that that's exactly the point. Because um, when I did move back to Hawaii, like I was basically I retired from comedy. I retired from everything. I was done. Right. And like I'm a SAG after member, and uh, I kept it going because I just wanted to keep that going because I worked so hard to get into the union. And that's a huge thing that people ought to talk in LA specifically yeah. talk a lot of shit about, but most of them that are talking shit have never gotten it. It's so hard to get into, mm-hmm. and you know, be um, proud. I'm very proud of that. Like that's actually one of my uh, proudest things, I guess, uh, be- being in the union because I worked so hard for it. I did horrible things to get it. I mean, I didn't like you know do anything crazy, but it was a lot of work, you know. And part of that was like I wanted like one of my goals, even when I was in Hawaii, I really wanted to get on Hawaii Five O because I was filming there. I still films there, and I was like, I just want to be in a project that I'm proud of. I'm not proud of anything. Like, uh, as far as, like, my IMDb, like, yeah, I, I did some, like, little things with friends and stuff. That was fun. But, like, when I look at my residuals, the only residual I get is from inappropriate comedy. Still yet. I'll get, like, a penny. Like, random shit. And I'm like, okay. But I, I just want to be proud of something that I worked on. It's like, you know, I spent so much of my life trying to build this career. And then I threw it all away at one point. Um, I'm back now. And so I want to get into a place where... I don't accept like shitty things. It's like even relationships. Like I dated some shitty guys. They're horrible. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just like lots of mistakes. And I mean, but they were learning. Like it was part of the growth, right? It was part I of the think so. evolution of. And I think people who leave and actually come back here, immensely braver. Are you kidding me? Are you to not only know what everyone may be thinking about that situation yeah. but then swallowing all that fucking pride and going back at it what a hero what diane are you kidding me that's huge i would never i would i would be an ostrich in florida right now with my head in the sand and like working at some dive bar for the rest of my life i feel like like i have that too much i would never be able to come back you coming back is such a huge like inspiration to a lot of people who may right now be listening to this in the same exact situation that we have never met and could be like, well, Diane, did it fuck. I mean, why not I? Why not? It is hard, but I, it was by accident, though. The what was the accident? Like, um, I'm not by accident, but it was by, uh, it was actually pretty weird because um, I actually didn't intend to live here again. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> Boom, roasted Landon. <laughs> uh-huh. But I mean, it forced, I was forced to come back because, um, why well, not really forced? I left my job um, at the nonprofit at the end of July and um, I kind of had a little meltdown because of what happened, the reason why I left there. And then I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm gonna go visit some friends. So I went to go visit my friend Mikey in Atlanta and then I went to New York to oh, see cool. Amy Stiller's show. Uh, and then I went to go, I went to Texas to visit my family for the first time. Um, it was a very weird place where I was just like, fuck everything. Like, what family and what city do you have in Texas? Uh, my family, my cousin, uh, Carol, mm-hmm. uh, who our moms are sisters. Uh-huh. My mom actually lived in Texas for a little while. Uh, and so they live in Colleen, which is by Fort Worth. Yeah, Fort Worth. Uh, Fort yeah. Hood or Fort, Fort Hood? Fort, Fort Hood. Hood. Why Fort Worth? I because that that's sounds a city, really, right? Yeah. I don't know, but Fort, Fort Hood. Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, so yeah. 
so they I have an ex that lives there oh well I mean military family like my um Carol's dad was also uh, he served in I think he served in the army mm-hmm. um thank you for your service yeah so wonderful like he's amazing I mean so a lot of my family is affiliated with the military so you got done with Texas and then I went I was in Texas I was like going all over the place I'm actually on like a watch list like I have to go get some Oh shit! I have to go. Okay, anyway, random thought. But I have um, errands after this. <laughs> no, like not even today. Like I gotta make some adjustments to an appointment. But um, yeah, I was like, I was flying all over the place because I was just so done. I was like, you know what? I have like nothing going for myself. I don't have a job anymore. Um, you know, people didn't understand why I had to leave, and I got so crazy. Like I was like just a maniac, and then I was flying all over the place, and then I came here. And, you know, at a certain point, and I got really sick. Uh, I had bad asthma, so I was afraid to fly home. And I, and then my friend Kathy let me stay with her because, uh, you know, I didn't have money. I didn't have anything at the time. Like, I didn't have any, like, reason to stay, but she's just like, you can stay with me. I mean, if you want to just, like, hang out for a bit, like, just hang out with me. And, she, you know, she's my best friend, so, like, I was like, all right, let, let, let me do that because I feel comfortable with you because I feel like I have nothing to go back home to, right? So I stayed here and I ended up living here because I was like, well, this is the perfect time because I have nothing, finished <laughs> school, you know? Um, job prospects are a lot better here. And I wasn't working for like four months because I was so crazy. Like I just had like just so much going on. Um, had to deal with a lot of stuff. You felt that a lot of this travel and stuff helped? It helped because um, it got me... There's something about Hawaii that makes me a little dead inside. Like, I don't feel as myself there. Uh, I grew up there. I mean, it's considered my home, but I never felt like it was home. Like, L.A. has always been more home for me. And, you know, when I was traveling, I like, I like you know, going to different cities. That's fun. Um... But it, it brought me back to a place of like, oh, wow, I actually I actually didn't leave in 2013 because I hated it there. I left because I was fucked up. I needed a break. I needed to recharge. And I did that. Like my time in Hawaii was about four years, just under four years. It was a time for me to like reflect on things. Uh, my you know social work gave me a perspective of the world that I didn't have before. Uh, and, you know, being a social worker for a little while, that gave me a different perspective of myself, gave me a different appreciation for other people. Uh, working with families with um, children, you know, with severe cognitive delays, seeing that level of uh, humanity in a different capacity. Because uh, sometimes in L.A., you can get lost in the stuff, right? You can get lost in like things that the parties, yeah, the, the vanities, parties. Like, the... yeah, that was my life before. Like, yeah. I would go to like, you know, Hollywood parties. I'd be hanging out with like and celebrities. It. Isn't it fun? It's super fun. <laughs> I actually don't like it yeah. because I have a lot of social anxiety at parties. I have. That's why people think I had an alcohol problem. It's not because I do. It's, it's just, just so comfortable because I can't. I can't handle all of the people and. Um, I feel very, I feel weird. Like I never felt like I was good enough to be there. So I just felt always like insecure because, you know, I'd go with my friends and they were like, you know, they're a different level than I was, you know? So like, I'm, I'm not in that league. So I always felt really insecure at these parties. And then, so I would drink a lot because I 
it feel comfortable and I'm a lot more like myself if I have that because I don't think about the constant thing of like oh I don't belong here I don't belong here so I drink a lot and then you know my friend uh, Nigel he would always tell me like why do you do that like just don't go you know but I'm like no I want to go because I get to hang out with my friend who I really like like I would go to um, parties with Kathy like my best friend here and like she she would take me to these places and because she wants to hang out with me and she you know she doesn't see me the way I see myself you know so uh, we would go and I like hanging out with her but as far as the environment it freaks me out because yeah. I don't feel like I belong there I'm starting to get over it but I know what I had when I got back from Iraq getting into college right after uh, it was really intense because I'd be in these huge classrooms with people six years younger than me, you know, four years younger than yeah. me, and they all be kind of energetic and whatnot, and I'm still reeling about what's going on in my life and yeah. how everything, and then in political science today, like, oh my God, like, how can you, yeah, I totally understand the the anxiety of being around people that just don't feel that pain to yeah like the i don't know it how to explain hard. it I, I get it that's how i felt when it i was feels in social like a, like school it, it's not it's emotional pain but it feels physical sometimes it, like it, crippling almost it does it it manifests physically i think you know and manifests. That's what i think that's what it is about like social work when i was in the program i felt like such an outsider because i was this fucking weirdo that like just you know i had this life like we would and every start of every class, it'd be like, tell us something interesting about yourself. And I'd be like, I used to do stand-up comedy in colleges. And then people like, whoa, that's so cool. I'm like, no, that's not fucking cool. Like, I had a meltdown, and that's why I'm here. And then TMI, oversharing, okay, whatever. Everyone thinks I'm more weird now. And then I was just like, why can't I just be a person that says like, oh, I used to work at a place and like every other fucking person or you know I didn't have any social work because you're not every fucking person I know Diane we're comedians and we do have to bite that fucking bullet when we tell people oh I'm stand up what you're stand up tell, tell me a joke oh my god go fuck yourself yeah. like you know no <laughs> that I don't is hilarious you, I don't want to tell you a joke uh, because like now I feel all pressured and now like you have this expectation that I'm going to be funny and if I'm not then I'm going to want to kill myself so let's just like yeah no and then they're like, Diane, you're hilarious. Come on in. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, but then some, I don't even feel comfortable about people telling me that uh, they like my stuff. Like, oh. I can't take compliments for shit. Like, I just can't. I'm learning to just breathe through them now and be yeah. like, it's not changing me. I'm still landing. Still got to be funny next show. Because the compliments for me are not easy. Either. Like, compliments for me, like, I feel like people are just, when I hear a compliment, I think, oh, it's because you feel sorry for me. You don't actually think that because I fucking suck. I know that. Like, I, like I won't let my friends come out to my shows. Like, I'm like a uh, like a bear. You know, like a sick bear. I read somewhere that uh, when animals get sick, they don't because they're like uh, predators or like whatever. I don't know animal stuff, but um, I think I saw this on like the History Channel or something. I don't know what. It, anyway, going back to it, uh, bears or some animal. I think even dogs do this. Any animal, when they're sick, uh, because they're afraid of, like, getting eaten and stuff, they'll, like, go deep into the forest and then die alone. Oh, wow. Uh, dogs do that, too. I think it was, like, on Marley and Me. Like, they, like, Marley, like, did that or something. Sorry for anybody Wait, that Marley didn't watch it. Oh, sorry about no. that. Um, <laughs> I know. I was, like, devastated. I got depressed. I, wa I was depressed for, like, three days after I saw that movie because I felt like, oh, my God, that's me when I do comedy. Right. It's, like, go, go die every, in the forest. Even if, oh, God. Like... 
even like it's almost as bad as if I do well at that set. Now I'm like, how you, do I reignite that flame? Yeah, like direct plateau. Oh. Am I ever going to get better than this? Like that's the stress of like um, performing, because I always think like, oh my god, like you know, I did so well, but am I going to be able to reach that again? It is just, it's just such it, great heights, you know. And then so I got really scared about that, and I wasn't particularly that great anyway. But like you know, sometimes when people tell you stuff like. You know, you you could do this, you could do that. I'm like, I'm so scared, and I have no ambition to have like a like a special or you know comedy set. Like, I have no ambition for that at all because I feel so scared of that. What is the what is the thing in a thirty minute or hour long special that makes you? I, I feel like scared that I'm gonna suck at it. So like, I don't have any ambition to do it because, you know. I don't feel I'm good enough yet. And maybe I might feel differently about it, but at the moment, like, I feel like I'm, I'm not worthy of that, like, even to even want that. So I don't. Like, I'm getting back into comedy because uh, I want to make some extra money, you know? Like, that was... I don't have a lot of skills, like, applicable skills in a work setting. Like, I don't think I have uh, the trajectory to get really good at a normal person's job. Oh, like becoming CEO or VP no, of I communications don't. of some big conglomerate. Right, no, right, right. I don't have the, the detail-oriented thing. Like, I write that in my resume, but I have bad detail. <laughs> uh, I'm not detail-oriented at all. Like, I fuck up. I'm a little bit dyslexic uh, with numbers. So, like, I I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm kind of a fuck up. Like, I can't. Oh, I'll read full sentences and say exactly <laughs> what I thought I was supposed to say. And people will be like... Landon, that says dog. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's like, oh yeah, of course. And my mother used to tell me it's just because you're reading what you want to read. Like, it's never like an illness yeah. or anything. It's just purely my own ignorance. Like, yeah, I'm like, no, I actually have a problem with it. So, I fuck up a lot of things. I don't remember. I have a bad memory. Mm-hmm. So I learn things. I can learn. I'm a more visual learner. If I read things, I, I can't can't like it doesn't resonate with me like it doesn't register properly so if i watch someone do something i actually went through school without reading any books wow okay uh so okay miss intellectual over here who's never wow not because like i was lazy but i get so sleepy so um unless i like take some medicine and stuff like I can't focus on stuff. Like I can't focus on anything that's not stimulating. So even reading like textbooks, I'll fall asleep. But if I read it on a computer, I can do that. Wow! Even the light is enough of a stimulation something, to get you. There's to... something going on. So like, if I'm not constantly stimulated, I'm bored to death, that's and I get so sleepy. And like, I just always have to be stimulated. That's why I'm all over the place in my brain. Like I'm all like, I have like a million thoughts. That's why I don't have that consistency of being able to stay on one place. I like switch tangents quickly, just or all comedians. over. Yeah, just just all over the place. So people find that annoying. Like some I. Sometimes when I like see other people that get like real neurotic about a, a thing and then switch topics and get all crazy, I'm like, oh, well, this is why people don't like to talk to me because I'm all over the place. But I, I appreciate it because that's how my brain works. So I track people very well when they're like that. Like all of my good friends, <coughs> excuse me, all of my really good friends are like that too. Or, and I think like as far as like, a good person to be around is someone that's more calm because I'm not. Oh, I'm, f- I'm learning to be, I'm not calm either. Yeah. I, I, it's all in my head. Like you said, like in a room full of people, I'm not freaking out, you know, visually I'm closing down and just like focusing on a single point at the end of the room, trying yeah. to like keep my sanity together. That's yeah. 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 
So, like, I mean, that's why I like musicians because they're like. Because they're sexy. No, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, they're really hot. <laughs> and it's just like, that's a discipline that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, whenever I watch people, like, I love music. I'm not, I don't have that talent. But I wish, yeah. I wish I had that talent. I don't. But I like that because they have a very similar kind of. There's a lot of overlap with music and comedy. I've always said that. You know, there's like a you, you're based on rhythm because so much of comedy is a rhythm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of torment, there's a lot of like you know sadness. Like who who does this kind of stuff? Like it's it's somebody that's just like yeah the 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 conventional world doesn't work for me, and so I'm gonna do this thing that everyone thinks is crazy. You know. Right, and we're not even that non-conventional in the sense of the word. Like, yeah. we're so the basic artist. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I'm very basic. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty... Uh, so, my roommate, he actually told me, he's like, yeah, when I first... I just met him in August, right? And he even told me, he's like, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were a little bit weird. Like, And I was like... But he was like, I was okay with it, you know? I was like, I can I can deal with that. And that was very comforting because that like when I met him, I was at the height of the craziest I've ever been in my life. Right? Like just no filter, very crazy, very impulsive. Like I mean, that's kind of the traits of uh, people that have PTSD. It's like they get a little bit impulsive. They, you know, behave in certain ways that maybe they would otherwise not do, you know? Like I would like chew people out and I'm relatively a peaceful person but whoa like sometimes i just get triggered you know yeah <laughs> and i will like I so what you i want to go back to something you had said really a long time ago that i feel bad that i didn't go back to but this is exactly it you don't like the idea that a lot of people say that we'll be fine we're fine that whole mentality that yeah. you were trying to bring up earlier does this kind of play along with that anger that where that kind of like blowing up comes from like a lot of it is stored up information from here's my problem people with talking uh, about i, don't I know. say the fine thing a lot because i'm an american but uh same I, yeah. I, I say it because it's a re like a reflex right you, you say it because whatever but it does um it does actually you, you know you're basically what is the word uh Nigel always tells me this. He's like, you're minimizing my feelings, minimizing. And I used to laugh at him about that, like not to his face, but inside. And then weak boy. I was just like, you and your petty problems, like you're good looking and like uh, you have your shit together. But like this one little thing is bothering you and you're fucking freaking out. I mean, like he's one of my best friends. So like, you know, whatever. Uh, So the thing about me is like I have like I would say in in social work too because I've worked with people that have real problems uh, or they've gone through like real things that are really hard in my opinion not to say that you I minimize it everybody has bad days but it's just kind of like I like to try to get people out of it and it's that that knee-jerk reaction to want to fix things social workers are fixers you know they, they want to fix things oh you're having a problem what can I do to make it better because I feel like not many people did that for me when I was growing up so I want to do that for other people so like as soon as someone says something I'm like no let's change your perspective it's actually not that bad that might feel like minimizing but in my intention is never to minimize it's to be there because I don't think that you should ever feel alone in that state and so uh, with a fine thing it's like I get, I blow the fuck, you know, Cora is really great about 
recognize like he helped me with this a lot he's like amazing like Corey is just like my roommate he's like so so just like empathetic and so caring and so insightful like his the things that he shares with me I feel like it would have taken my whole life to figure out like if you will and they're, they're very subtle things like um because I was like you know because I get crazy like I I mean my favorite movie when I was growing up was The Godfather right and I feel like they had a point like a lot of times I was like the mafia I think that's you know they do a lot of like things that maybe are not nice but what got them there you know I always think about that like they probably had this conversation in a very nice way, but someone just didn't take them seriously enough. That's why you wake up with a horse's head in your bed. You know? <laughs> Shit happens. Shit fucking happens. And so, like, with me, I'm super, like, I really like to be friendly. Like, it's a Japanese side. Like, let's be polite. Let's be this. Let's be the nice person. So, I get, sometimes I get walked over. Like, uh, uh, people just walk all over me. And then I get to a place where I'm just like, fuck you, like, I cannot deal with this anymore, and then the Korean side pops in, and I chew the fuck out of people, like, and, and they're like, whoa, 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 what the fuck just happened? Where did this come from? Yeah, like, you are a nice person, you're a person that we can take advantage of, how <laughs> dare you have an opinion? Right, that, the nice person syndrome. Yeah, fuck yeah. being nice, I'm fuck not gonna be nice. Fuck nice. No, I mean, I am nice if people are nice, but, like, they need to prove themselves, like, yeah. who's... Who's worthy of me being nice to them? I'm not walking around the city being as naive and uh-uh. so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed no, like no. I Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, it's not the jaded. We're not because we're still no. laughing and having fun. But yeah. there is a sense of maturity that I think we're seeing in ourselves. Oh, yeah. Just like not everyone deserves this. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. No. No, like this is not for everybody uh because when it is you just exhaust yourself, your energy, like your you know the light that you have, it gets it used. gets burned out. You know, it gets used and like people capitalize on things and um they don't reciprocate. That's the thing. It's like you need to replenish that light. You know, um, so you have to be with people that also have that light. So this is going to be kind of mean. Um but I'm going to say it anyway. Dimitri my husband actually I think is, I don't know if he's as aware sometimes just because of his personality that he doesn't rekindle that light up a little more sometimes. I don't know if it's malicious or that he's like mean or, I think it's just because we're so comfortable around each other. He's just waiting for me to trigger something for him to know that he needs to do that where we automatically see it in people that like, oh, you need a boost. You need happiness. You need yeah. something. And I, we are the people that are good at giving it. Did he have a happy childhood? I think so. That's what it is. People that, um, see, I didn't have a happy childhood. <laughs> oh, no. um, I mean, my parents were great and everything, but things are pretty shitty for most of my life. I mean, not in a, a horrible way, but I think when you're in a place uh where people are constantly like kind of beating you down, you will look for any opportunity for somebody to not feel like that. Yes, because, you feel yeah, that. Because you feel that empathy. You feel you feel what it is. And, and there's a big difference between empathy and uh, pity, you know, that I, I think people don't really get. Because uh, empathy is like you can place yourself in somebody else's situation and be like, how do I make this better? Pity is like, oh, that sucks for you. Well, get over it. Go fuck yourself, you know, like, and that's why, like, there are certain people I don't share hard times with because they don't know how to be there for me. 
Because it's usually just sitting next to us while we're making grilled cheese, and that makes me better. You know, and it yeah. could be that small of a... Because, like, all it needs is, like, I... And that's the thing. There's a big difference between uh, certain friends of mine. Like, they don't... Like, the ones that like are like, oh, you minimize my problems. They're the ones that don't get it. That I'm like, this is a real hard thing. And you're telling me that, oh, God, the thing I fucking can't stand is, like, you should do mindfulness meditation or you should do yoga. You should, like, calm yourself down. It's like, um, this isn't about calming myself down. All you have to say is, like, yeah, that sucks. What can I do to help you make it better? Do you want to go get something to eat? Do you want to, like, uh, you know, hang out? Like, you know, I don't want to tell you my problems, but I want to have something that I can take a break from this. Yep. That's all it is. It's little bits of kindness to, like, even, like, a little no. Like, um, when people are just, like, randomly kind that changes my whole outlook a very simple thing like um my the person i work for now like she's amazing like she's always like really cognizant and like she says stuff that's like a real like it's a simple thing but just that little bit of encouragement that boost it's like that will change the trajectory of my day you like getting paper thank you cards I love it. I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm kind I'm of an old school person. So, like, that's actually, like, you know, they have the languages of love. Um, I don't need, like, material things. But, like, a handwritten note or, like, someone that just, like, thinks about, like, you know, just is considering my feelings and, like, says something sweet. Like, my roommate actually, like, because I forget my lunch all the time because I'm, like, you know, one of those people. <laughs> and, like, he put, like, put a little post-it on the door. Oh, don't forget your lunch. Like, something like that is, like, that meant so much to me. And, actually, I didn't even see it because it flew off because post-it notes aren't very sticky. <laughs> but he asked me, like, later he's texting. He's like, hey, did you get your, the note? And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. And he's like, oh, it was a note to, you know. And then when I came home, like, I was looking for that note because I wanted to keep it. Because it was so, like. Thoughtful. It was so thoughtful. And I just felt, like, just, oh, wow, that little thing. Like, Whoa. And it just made me feel so up cared for. A post-it note couldn't change the day Definitely. for somebody. And Holy shit. I do that like for like people that I care about. Like I make sure that I I write really long letters. Like I'm I'm a letter writer, right? I'm a weirdo. Like super like traditional. Did you ever read that le- that that email or oh, not an email that thing that came through Facebook for a while or whatever it said when you're sending emails use three or less sentences to get your point across? Yeah. No, I'm like you. No. I'm like and then I couldn't thank you more for the I gracious know. attitude. Like yes, cuz I no, really want like, you to know how much I respect. Yeah, cuz it's like you changed like a part, you know, like and so I used to write you know like friends like really long letters. And it's like, okay, you could do that in a text, but there's something up that I, pre- and I like to draw a lot. Like I'm kind of, I draw like a five-year-old, but like, you know, I just feel like I, cause there's so much like gratitude there that it pours out into words for me. Good. And I don't do that for everybody. Like there are only a couple of people that, cause I'm, I'm actually not good with time management sometimes. So I don't have as much time to do that. But when I, that's kind of the barometer. Like when I really care about somebody, they will get like some kind of like thing I made. Like I made Kathy a Christmas stocking. I burnt myself in all these places like with a glue gun. <laughs> and then like, I stabbed myself with a oh, no. like needle and stuff. But I made it for her because, um, not because she's like, oh, you know, Christmas is the like, best thing ever. 
you know, whatever. I actually gave it to her a day after Christmas because I didn't have my shit together to like meet up with her, you know? Because <laughs> bad time management. Yeah, skills. it's totally bad time management. And But the reason why I made it is like because I wanted her to know that I love her, you know? And that's how I do it. It's like, I, it's weird because I don't need gifts. Like, I like nice things, but I can do that on my own. Like, I can buy things. But if it's like a small little thing that's very thoughtful, that's really what it is. Like, I just, oh my gosh. Like, that's all it takes. Like, I rather have like a little post note than someone buy me a new car. Oh, I'll take the car, but. <laughs> I mean, no, and like yes. when I said that, I was like, you know, I could use a new car. If it was like a Tesla, like, okay, maybe, now it might be a little bit better than a post it <laughs> note. Step back but, up. and I guess also I have problems with receiving things. So that's also another thing, you know? Yeah, I'm not a good gift get- yeah. taker either, yeah, but I'll like, give oh. everybody something. Yeah. yeah, me too. And I have to always reciprocate. I have to like trump whatever they. It's an Asian thing. It's like, oh, if someone gives <laughs> yes. you something, oh, well, you I know. I have nothing prepared. Oh, God, I'm oh, a bad shit. person. You know, so like, if you spend a hundred dollars like they spend a hundred dollars on you you better be spending five hundred dollars on them because you don't want to be that person everyone talks shit about at the next party you know because that's that mentality of asians like they always have to trump each other because they you know came from hard upbringing you know they don't want to be looked at as someone that's judged it's like everybody has that sort of like pseudo weird keeping up with whatever family creed you know what i mean like we keep saying like, yeah, like me, like Mexican families and then like Pacific Islander families and Asian families and Spanish families. I'm just like, yeah, they all have this sort of, this is what you should be looking out most in yourself because everyone is going to destroy you by, by it. But, you know, yeah. they, it's like your family doesn't want to tell you exactly what's wrong with you because they might be self-reflecting on themselves. My, like- my family has no problem with that. <laughs> Koreans... You will know that something is fucked up about you every day. Like there's like that's why like when I was having a really hard time and I was really depressed when I first moved here, I couldn't talk to my mom because she would tell me every little thing that was wrong with me. And I was like, I don't I can do this myself, mom. Don't worry. Like I already think I'm shitty. I already think that I'm like the worst person. I don't need you to affirm that. Okay? You, uh, do you watch Chelsea Handler the show? Uh sometimes. I saw um Amy Poehler on yeah and they were gotten to this conversation about Amy Poehler's relationship with her mother and apparently Chelsea and her because they cut out a piece of that interview I want to yeah. know what they were talking about but what it got to was Chelsea saying to Amy yeah you had the conversation with your mom and that's why you guys aren't hanging out as much anymore because her career is blowing up and her mom you know is like or your parents not just moms but parents in general feel that you know very close to that success too because they made us you know and yeah. they only want to see you know us as their trophies be the brightest in the box you know be the brightest but you got to have that conversation and break off like we are now adults mom dad you know and i'm not voting like you and i am not living like you yeah. and i love you dearly but we can't talk as often. This is not healthy. As a human being in psychology, I can't listen to the slightest words you say to me because you know how my mind works. You know me better than I know right. myself. You're going to give me something that's that's going to truly stick, and I can't tell you if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing right now, so I don't need it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like I know that it comes from a place of love. It always does. It does. It's very constructive. It's like, I want to make you better. And, you know, I used to think, like, my mom was, like, really harsh and whatnot. But she always wanted me to be better. Like, she loved me. She loves me so much. 
that she wanted me to be better. Like she's the reason that I, you know, she's the reason that I'm very. I think unlike uh, you know other people that could have easily just like you know been that person that's just receiving government funds or whatever and not doing anything because like uh, people get beaten down and they're like, oh well, you're disabled, you're whatever, so you don't belong with society because that happens, especially in Korea. You know, lots of stigma, but my mom always made me like that's why she'd be like, don't cry, don't do this, don't do that, because you don't want to show that you're weak. Because people already think badly of you as it is. So don't show, don't give them a reason to not like you. And all of that information is probably very valid in the real world. However, you and I do not play or work no. in the real world most of the time. Yeah. We are out at night. Working clubs, writing jokes during the day, working our day job, yeah. probably writing jokes during our day. Like, we don't live that life. Sensitive, yeah. too. Like, I'm oh, so yeah. sensitive. And, you know, the thing is, like, what I what I missed was um, I didn't get that my mom did that out of love. I always thought it was, like, criticism. And so for a long time, I felt like so, like, oh, my mom doesn't love me. And, like, it's because I'm such a... I'm such a disappointment to her. That's why all she talks about is like, I mean, she does say nice things here and there, but like, I feel like the other stuff is what's more prevalent. A little more overwhelming. Because that's what sticks in my brain. Like, I don't, when she says nice things, I don't like receive it. Yeah, I'm not repeating that nice thing yeah. over and over. I'm only hearing that bad conversation, the things that I fucked up in my life, the things right. that make me unworthy, the things that disappoint you about me. I think that's the end of our conversation. You're brilliant. So are you. Oh, thank you for coming on this show. This is so, so much fun. Like, I I feel like I need to take notes and when I listen to this. The why is the tough part to find. The why is why a lot of people get to a place where they can't get out of because they don't know the why. And as soon as you find out the why and you're willing to be brave and confront that why, that's when, that's when you can actually overcome things and that's something that you know sometimes it takes a little bit of help right and i think that's why it's great that it's become something that's accessible to people and we're all hypocrites yes <laughs> oh do you have a shout out or anything or an instagram you want to oh yeah i have an instagram it's uh just my first and last name diane kawasaki I'd like to thank my guest today, Diane, for being on the show. And um, I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning in again. We're still doing this. Uh, it's not stopping. It's just taking me time because I just shot a feature film with some friends. And one of the dudes who was, the, oh, the cinematographer, like he kind of laid the groundwork for the shoot. He was the cinematographer of Hardcore Henry, which is the podcast about the podcast that I did last year about that movie, Hardcore Henry. And then I worked with him on a movie. It was so weird. Like, how serendipitous. Like a year later, almost to the date, is like, ah. Uh, anyways, how cool is that? <laughs>